You guys have any pens? In? Musicians don't use pens, I guess. We write with our music. All right, so uh, welcome to Wednesday night. Um, I just had a, something I needed to write down here quick. Uh, verse four. So um, I felt a little bit like this, this table has kind of been a barricade between us. And so I, I'm trying something new. I'm not going to totally get rid of it because then I'd kick the monitor. Uh, but I don't want to have like a barricade between us. So uh, tonight we're going through uh, verses 3 through 14. Um, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, it's one long sentence, as I mentioned last week, so that's fun. Uh, and hopefully we're going to have some really great discussion. We have a plethora of questions uh, for us tonight. Uh, Bennett earlier was like, oh, I feel like I'm cheating looking at the questions. I'm like, no cheating. They're all available. <laughs> if you want them in advance, I can certainly email them to you at 2 o'clock when I email everyone else. Uh, there's actually somebody that doesn't come on, on Wednesday nights that I do email the questions to. They, they want them. So uh, if you ever want them, let me know. I'll email them to you. I'll add your email to the list, and voila. So, all right. I don't really have any announcements um, at this point for the upcoming weeks. So we got Ash Wednesday coming up in about a month. Um, so we'll have some announcements regarding Ash Wednesday uh, coming up, but that's not for a while. So, all right, let's uh, let's pray. Father God, we come uh, before you tonight, and we come as uh, people desiring to exist in you, in your Son, and to be worthy of the calling that you have invited us to be in relationship with you. And so tonight we come as learners, as your disciples, embracing the truth of that word and that title in our lives, seeking to grow in our understanding of you, and not just grow in our cognitive understanding, but grow in our relationship with you and with each other uh, as your family, as your church, as your body. So be with us tonight, Holy Spirit. Illuminate to us what it is that you have for us as we come seeking to receive with open hands tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we are. Sentence, one giant sentence. Verse three. And I know some people were questioning this last week, then why do the English, why does the English version give us all these um, periods? I don't know. I didn't make this Bible, so you'll have to um, deal with them. I had thought about, I actually printed off for our, Wednesday lunch group, a beautiful diagram, a, a diagram of this sentence. <laughs> and I thought, maybe some more people would like this. And I thought then, actually, the people I gave it to didn't even want it in the first place. <laughs> I forced it upon them. Uh, so it's pretty fascinating and also nightmarish. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless 
before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. So, uh, we get this wonderful doxology that exists at the very beginning of Ephesians, and we, we have this challenge around interpreting texts like this because we often miss out on the doxological nature <laughs> of this passage. Now, when I say doxology, I mean, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah. And how does that go? Yes. I immediately want to sing, but I know that I'm a terrible uh, soloist, so I'm not going to sing. But it's, you get the idea of praising God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean Holy Ghost. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't work, right? You, got, you, have to, you have to adapt your wording so that it makes sense. And ghost makes so much more sense than spirit. Um, so that's what we have. Paul is he's really setting the table for the rest of the letter through this uh, big praise sentence so that um, when we get to 15 and, and he starts the next sentence and says, for this reason... It's because of all of the things I just said, we're going to get into uh, the rest of the book or the rest of the letter. Something that we are challenged with is this idea of uh, dissecting this doxology. And that is, can, can be a problem. But how does it start? It starts with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, you know, when we're diagramming this sentence, which we're not um, going to spend time doing it, but when you diagram any sentence, you have subject on one side, then you have the verb, right? You're like, well, take your word for it. That's how it works. So the subject of this whole sentence is right out of the gate. The subject is God. And 
God is the main focus of this, much like as we talked about back in Judges and Ruth, that God is the main character throughout. God is the subject of this sentence, and Paul is drawing our attention towards God and who God is in his nature and how he relates to us at the very beginning. And so he's giving God a blessing for who he is, and it's this reciprocal relationship of God blessing us and us blessing God and vice versa. So it's this reciprocal nature of blessing that, that Paul is trying to set the tone for. You know, so often uh, when we read texts, and we were talking about this uh, a little earlier, we want to read the text uh, in a pre-Copernicus state of mind, that we are the center of the universe and that we are the center of the text And in essence, Paul is writing this letter to us, which he is not. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church, and we are not the main character. God is the main character or the subject in this verse. So who is this God who is the main character? Well, Paul gives us seven verbs throughout this sentence. (laughs) Again, Paul was not a grammarian. He, he was not interested in high grammar, so he gives us seven verbs throughout uh, this sentence. And they are blessed, chose, destined, bestowed, lavished, made known, and gather up. So those are the seven, uh, seven verbs. Um, I... Uh, underlined them in my Bible. So if you have your own Bible, maybe you're interested in underlining them. So the first thing that God does is he blesses us. Now, who is the us? Well, the us can be interpreted in really two ways. It can be interpreted specifically as uh, the group that Paul is writing to, and he is identifying himself with them. But more than likely, he is identifying us, meaning those who are in Christ. Remember last week we talked about this concept of being in Christ versus believing in Christ. He says those, he, he blessed us in Christ. So part of it is this double meaning of blessing those who are in Christ. And he is blessing us by putting us or giving us an opportunity to be in Christ. And he doesn't stop there. The blessing that he gives us in Christ is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, again, we see these distinctions that exist within Paul's writing where there's uh, the things of the world and then there's the things of God or the things of heaven. So Paul isn't trying to make uh, some cosmological understanding of how he's viewing the world um, because he just is not. He's saying that the blessings that God is giving us, these spiritual blessings, are coming from a place that is not of the earth. Now, we start to start to ask these questions around, you know, are these physical blessings? Because he says they're spiritual blessings, And if a blessing is coming from God, then by its nature, it is a spiritual blessing. 
And we know that all good things come from God. So the physical blessings that we receive in our lives come from God. So you could argue that a physical blessing is a spiritual blessing. So we could try and differentiate between non-physical, non-material blessings and material blessings under the category of spiritual blessings. I feel like I feel like the are we with this? <laughs> We're getting like uh, don't worry. Women's half pipe doesn't start until 7.30. So we still have 45 minutes before we need to be wondering, did Chloe Kim wipe out? I mean, come on now. You at home, I see you. <laughs> so we have these spiritual blessings that God is bestowing upon us. Even as he chose us, in him, so see these relational aspects in these uh, placement verbs or, or pra- placement uh, identifiers that he gives us, all these in uh, words. In him, for the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So again, when we, we, we say, who is the us, we could say, again, it's this group. We could say it's those who are identified as followers of Christ. Or a third option would say uh, humanity at large. So in essence, as we look at what God is doing, Paul is, in some ways he's theologizing, in some ways he is praising God through this doxology and saying that when God set up this thing called creation, even before that, in, in the in the early planning stages of what he was going to do, God had this idea that he was going to create humanity, and by creating humanity, his desire was that humanity would be in relationship with him. So he makes a selection for the human beings that he is going to create, that they would be in relationship with him. It's a little bit like this. We've been playing basketball. um, And when you pick teams, everyone remembers back to the old picking teams business. Ugh. Ugh. And when you have two older brothers, you're usually the last person picked, especially when you're shorter uh, than the rest of them because you're sometimes four years younger. And you may be um, wider than you should be because you like to bake and eat chocolate chip cookies Um, and you can't really jump because frankly you're a wrestler and not a basketball player but you have the hoop in your backyard so by proxy you get to play so we're picking teams and it's like actually no one wants to choose Eric you have to take him so we we do the right thing we we just shoot for teams so that no one has to be rejected you are rejecting yourself because you are incompetent at putting the basketball in the hoop. In this picture, though, we see God choosing us. God says, I desire for you to be in relationship with me. 
And this is not a new plan. This is not something that he just came up with. Like, he decides to create humanity, and he's like, oh, that's a nice creation. I'd like them to be in relationship with me, and so let's create a pathway for that. No, beforehand, God says, when I create human beings, I desire for them to be in relationship with me. Now, we can talk in big theological terms about human beings and our telos and what are we made for and all these things. And Paul tells us that we have been chosen to be in relationship with God. And he did this before the foundation of the world. And because we are in Christ and been chosen by God, he has chosen for us that we should be holy and blameless, set apart and without blemish before him. That's part of this agreement that Paul is acknowledging. Well, how are we going to do that? We're going to get to that. In love, which if God is love, he can't do anything out of love, but continuing this in theme, in love, he predestined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So I want to tell you this hypothetical story. This family, they've got older kids, and they feel so bad because they've never taken their kids uh, to the land of great faces and great places. So they decide to do this family trip, and they go to the Black Hills, and they go to Keystone, and they go to Mount Rushmore. And one of their children is 19 years old, and he is just completely enamored by the faces. I mean, I, I don't even want to ask if... if there's anyone here who's not physically been to Mount Rushmore because we just don't want to admit that. Russ, is it because Jefferson is, is left out? You're just like, I, I'm, Mount Rushmore is canceled. So this family goes there and they have this month long that they're going to spend in the Black Hills and the son becomes so enamored with Mount Rushmore, he says, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm just going to stay here. And his parents are like, well, well what about Harney Peak? And, and, and what about Spearfish Canyon and, and Deadwood and all these amazing places? We're going to go to Reptile Gardens. We're going to go to the Cosmos. And we're going to go celebrate all these cool things in the Black Hills. We're going to go to the Hippie Hole. and We're going to feed the donkeys at Custer State Park. He's like, no, no, no. This is all I care about. I'm going to study Guts and Borglum. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to check out these faces every single day. Like, son, you're going to miss out. Like, if, if you think, son, the Black Hills is Mount Rushmore, you are sadly mistaken. No, this is where I want to stay. Family spends a whole month exploring. They're like, you know what, Mount Rushmore, yeah, it was fine. It was cool. Lighting ceremony, great. But the Black Hills is amazing. Can I get an amen? That's a little bit like predestination in this passage. <laughs> because as we're reading this, we're like, oh, yes, we're going to talk about predestination. We're going to argue and fight it out and figure out who's on our team and who's not on our team and blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't know if, if we're aware of this, but, but Mount Rushmore hasn't always been there. <laughs> but the rock has always been there, 
Because when the Black Hills were created or came into existence, that rock existed, and we, men, went and put Mount Rushmore into the rock. In the same way, this concept of predestination and fighting over the ins and outs of the minutia of predestination, that's us. That's man coming and trying to squeeze something into a passage in a way that makes us feel better about the passage. Like, I don't care about spiritual blessings. I don't care about grace. I don't care about the seal of the Holy Spirit. All I want to focus in on is this concept of predestination. Which, it's a great thing to talk about if you're into having those conversations. And if, and if that's where we're at and we're, we're like, ah, oh, just tonight, I thought tonight was the night that we were going to solve this problem. Then like Michaela Schifrin, we just skied right out of it. <laughs> you're sitting in your chair like she was on the side of the hill, crying. And waiting four years to get this thing figured out. Now you just told me we're not going to talk about it. I would be happy to spend hours discussing this historically, different perspectives. That's not the point of this section. What Paul is trying to communicate is he is worshiping and praising God that God has chose us to be in relationship with him And he has desired from the very beginning to put together this plan in which we could be in relationship with him. And and we know that that he had this plan. (laughs) And then we also know that Adam and Eve showed up. (laughs) And this thing called sin entered the world and the plan was slightly upset. But what is it that he chose for us or set out for us in advance? He set out that we would be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. And so we get hung up on focusing on this word predestined that we miss out on how God is desiring to adopt us, to bring us into his family. This idea of we are not born into relationship with Christ. We are not born into the family of God. We are not somehow uh, heirs because we're human beings. But God desires to create a pathway for us to be into his family. And that is incredible. That God desires, before he even sets in motion humanity, that humanity would be in relationship with him. And again, we're going to see these images throughout the book of Ephesians about how we are to be in relationship with God and relationship with each other. These images for the body of Christ, you know, body building, those types of things. The family of God is in Christ, through Christ. And it's because it was God's desire, the purpose of his will, that this would happen. 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To the praise of his glorious grace. Again, this is a doxological portion of this letter, and that infers praise. Praising to God for what he has done and is doing. And what is Paul highlighting in this praise? He's praising God's grace. Remember last week, he opens this letter and says, grace to you and peace. And grace is this theme that keeps coming up for Paul throughout the book of Ephesians. Because for Paul, we aren't the main actors. We aren't doing the acting. The verbs aren't about us. The verbs are about God. So God chooses God gives us grace. We don't earn this thing. God gives it to us. And that is something that we should be excited about. That is something that we should be praising God on behalf of. Praising God for his glorious grace. This thing that we do not deserve that God is giving to us. And again, this repetition of this word This blessing us. He's blessing us in Christ, in the beloved. And then in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, if you prefer sin. Anyone? The first time I ever said the Lord's Prayer, John was like, all right, we're going to do Lord's Prayer on some Sundays. And I got up and did the Lord's Prayer. And we used to always say trespasses instead of... uh, debts (laughs) debts <laughs> or do we say trespasses so i must have said debts i said what we don't say and i was like uh that's not the lord's prayer at timberwood church I'm like i didn't realize there was multiple lord's prayers i think god understood <laughs> in him we have redemption What do you think of when you hear this word redemption? Redeemed, yes. I might even be willing to give a prize to whoever gets the right answer. Redeemed means there is a I just gave you a massive hint. Redeemer, which means, yes, who said it? David, you cheated. (laughs) Your commentary told you that. (laughs) You saved us all. I mean, the other night, uh, Brett was like, why did we pick Ephesians after Ruth? And then I'm reading this, and I'm like, the Holy Spirit, that's why. Ruth, we have been redeemed. Boaz is the kins, is the redeemer. We have this connection about the payment and all of these things, and we see this thread of redemption throughout the entire Bible, and we're like, ah! Exactly. Woo! Or did something just happen in the Olympics that I missed? Yes. 
Ruth. Because remember the whole idea, Ruth needed a redeemer. Boaz is her redeemer. There's a kinsman redeemer that's closer than I. We went through Ruth, right? That wasn't like something I just dreamt about in my dreams. Because I have a lot of Timberwood dreams and some of them are not good. Um, But I didn't dream this. This actually happened. Okay, good. So we see this thread of redemption and how Jesus Christ provides us redemption, the payment for something, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Think about how incredible that is. God desires to forgive our sins through his son's shed blood And he desires to do it not out of obligation, not out of spite, not out of duty, but according to the riches of his grace. So when we think about God being this vengeful person, thing that is just waiting to smite us, I think Bruce Almighty, that's not God of the Bible at all. Paul is saying that God desires to to give us richly his grace and take care of this debt that we have in our sin so that we can be in Christ. And and it's not like he just, he's not just sparing with it. He lavishes it upon us in all wisdom and insight. I mean, this word lavished. On Monday I was at this meeting and I was, so I was trying to be like proper, but there was queso and there was chips. And, and, and I had this crisis because I needed some more cheese, queso for my chips. And my friend's wife, she kind of looked at me. She saw me look at the queso and she's like, you need more queso. And I was like, God bless you. And I just lavished my chips with that queso because that's what the chip is for. God is, he's not stingy. He's lavishing upon us. And it's not a mistake. He's doing it in all wisdom and insight. God is giving us his grace. Why? So that we can be, make known, so that he can make known to us. It's not that we figure it out. Again, God is the one who's doing these verbs. He is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. It's all coming together in Christ for God and humanity and this reconciliation that is happening. And he is making known to us this mystery. God is is mystery and he reveals mystery to us. And I know... We, we can struggle with mystery. We don't like mystery. We don't like the unknown. We don't like the, you know, you watch, you watch an appropriate movie with someone. <laughs> that was about last week. And you're like, okay, who's this guy? Uh, I don't know. I've never seen this before. <laughs> oh, okay. Five minutes later. Oh, who's this? Again, still haven't seen this movie. Okay, thanks, honey. It's a mystery. 
But God is revealing and making known this mystery to us. Why? Because it was his purpose which he set forth in Christ. When the time was perfect, the fullness of time. And what what was he trying to do? He was trying to unite all things in him. Unite all things in heaven and on earth to unite the totality of the universe in Christ. So again, this is a key theme. This this concept of mutuality and reciprocity is going to keep coming back. That what Christ is doing is not dividing, he's uniting. He's not seeking to bifurcate or to separate, he's seeking to bring together. He's not trying to draw lines, he's trying to erase the lines and expand the circle. But how often is the case, we use this text, we use text to say who is in and who is out. We try to make distinctions about, well, are you chosen or are you not chosen? Are you elect or are you not elect? Are you in? Are you part of my tribe or are you not part of my tribe? That is anti-Christ. To seek to divide people... And create division within the body of Christ is anti-Christ. It is against the things that Christ is trying to do. Christ is seeking to unite all things together. And again, in him... Not in the world, not in our own power, not in our own might. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been pre-selected, predestined, pre-chosen according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We have obtained this inheritance. This thing that is present but yet future. We have access to it now but we will fully have it in the future. The kingdom of God is here and it's future. It's now and it's not yet. This inheritance is right here with us and it's not here yet fully. But we have access to it through Jesus Christ, through the cleansing of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins because of his blood, and so that this is what God has desired for us. And by us, I mean everyone has the opportunity. Now, what I am not saying is that everyone gets to go to heaven. Because that can be something that we hear, and certainly we can read this passage, if we so desire, in a universalistic way. It would be inappropriate, but let's be honest. People read the Bible inappropriately and use the Bible inappropriately all the time, so it wouldn't be like a new thing. It's not saying that God desires, or that God is, is saving everyone. That's not true. That's not biblical. But those who desire to be in Christ have the opportunity. There's, there, there's not a pre-selection committee. 
There's not a, uh, like a publisher's clearinghouse thing. The Jehovah's Witness say there is a select number of people that will go to heaven. They're a cult. That's what happens when we misinterpret Scripture. God desires that people would be in relationship with him. That has been his plan from the very beginning. He creates a pathway through Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. Paul is praising God for this amazing plan that he has put together. And where we get hung up is in verse 11 when when we say, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We say, Everything that happens is God's plan. That is not true. (laughs) That is 100% not true. And, And it makes us feel better. It makes us feel so much better. Except if we're the one on the short end of the suffering stick and somebody says, oh, it's God's plan. It wasn't God's plan because it happened. Many things happen that are not God's plan. This meeting on Monday was talking about lament and grief and what do we do with the things that happen in this world. And this other pastor that I was with tells us this story about how his six-year-old sister, when he was 12, was shot by his 13-year-old brother. That was not God's plan. Well, how do you know? The God that is in this book that I believe in wouldn't in any universe create that as a plan. So we don't have to say that everything that happens is God's plan. When I make terrible decisions, That's me. That's not God. If I do something horrendous to you, please tell me, because I want to repent. Don't believe that it's God's plan for me to inflict pain on you or for anyone to inflict pain on you. My mother-in-law dying at 50 from a horrendous disease I can't believe that that was God's plan. And I think there's pretty sound biblical evidence that that's not how God works. Could it be the case? As Jordan Peterson says in an interview the other day on a very controversial podcast, (laughs) canceled, Zero is a really small number. (laughs) But so often we read a passage like this and we say, well, God's working all things. That doesn't mean he's causing every single thing to happen. God is a loving and gracious father. We're seeing about how he lavishes his grace upon us and he tries to do all of these amazing things to create a pathway for us to be in in him. It's not that he eliminates all suffering, but he certainly is not out there trying to create opportunities for people to experience pain and suffering. 
He's trying to create opportunities to alleviate pain and suffering and to reconcile these things to himself. So that we can praise his glory. And he says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, there's clearly some human action. God is acting first, and we are given the opportunity to act second. This belief is not something that is just planted in us. We have to do something. We hear the word of truth, and we respond to this gospel of salvation by believing in him. We receive the seal. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, this praise of his glory. So when, I mean, look at this progression. We hear the gospel of truth. We respond to that gospel. We believe in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are signed, sealed, and delivered as children of God to receive the inheritance. And I know you're thinking, I could put a guarantee on a box. Maybe you're not thinking that. This is better than any guarantee on any box. This is how it works. God has given us the Holy Spirit, sealed us, not to be taken away, not to be broken open, not to be ripped away from God. We are given the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We are guaranteed to acquire the inheritance of this thing called faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is in us. And see how amazing this passage is for Paul creating this doxological praise to open this passage and to lay this groundwork, this framework for how we are going to see the rest of this letter. This full Trinitarian treatment of how God sets this thing up and it's the Father who sends the Son and the Son who goes to the cross and sheds his blood to create the pathway for us to be in him. And then here comes the Holy Spirit, stamp, sealed. It's like if you ever tried to get out of the shopping store, I mean Costco, without getting your, your receipt stamped, I mean you might as well be breaking into Fort Knox. What do you got in there? Well, maybe if I didn't have to do self-checkout. Sorry, Jeremy. Where were you the other day? I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> then I came back to work, and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I almost just left my cart and walked away. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Then you try to pay with cash. Don't get me started. <laughs> like, Bitcoin? Some... Random thing? Sure. Cash? Like an actual dollar bill? Yeah. 
sealed with the promise. And I know we've talked about this at length, and we spent some time this last summer talking about the Trinity and what the, who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit functions, and it becomes this, again, this mystery of how does the Holy Spirit function in my life. And, and, and we know that the Holy Spirit is given to those who are in Christ. And it's not just this, like, you know, uh, takeaway, like, spiritual nummy. Mm. Mm. Yes, the Holy Spirit. It is our pathway to salvation in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the part of God that is working in us while we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit is how we get entrance into the kingdom of God. So when we overlook or brush off or eh, the Holy Spirit, we miss out. We miss out on the, one of the key components of the Trinity, and we see how God desires in his Trinitarian nature to be relational and how he functions. And if we are created in the image of God, then we are created in the image of the Trinity, and so we have Trinitarian attributes within us, and part of that is relationality. And that's why this letter is written to the church, to the body, because it's about the relationality that exists between us and God and between us and each other, which is a complete sidebar. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when you're watching a curling match and they send, it a little, the, send the stone a little too hard. And they're like, stop sweeping. We just need to end this thing. Game over. Whew. We have, again, plethora of questions tonight. I would love if you grabbed, some quest- uh, grabbed a sheet of questions If one of those questions sticks out to you, you're like, I would love for us to discuss this on behalf of your leaders. They would love for you to say, could we discuss this question? They they would just bring great joy to their heart. And if they don't tell you that, they're lying. All right. I don't see any new faces, so you can go to your groups.